0: Hey everyone, and welcome to Detroit today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. When we look back on this pandemic, we're going to look back on all of the different things it has exposed about our health, our healthcare system, our politics, our society. Here in Michigan, in particular. It has exposed the really stark racial disparities that exist and have existed for decades and for centuries. We've said it many times already on this show, but it bears repeating over and over. Black people represent just 14% of Michigan's population. But we represent 40% of COVID-19 deaths in this state. 40%. It's such a jarring statistic that the governor has created a state task force to address that problem and you can barely turn your head or turn a corner right now without running into somebody who is talking about this dynamic. But that disparity isn't just on full display right here in Detroit or in Michigan. Communities of color are being hit really hard by the coronavirus pandemic all over this country. And here to talk more about their reporting and experiences with this issue are two really good friends of our show here. Maria Hinojosa is an award-winning journalist, news anchor, and author. She is host of Latino USA, which is heard on WDET on Saturday mornings at 7 and Wednesday nights at 10. She is also co-host of the podcast In the Thick. Maria, welcome back to Detroit Today. What's
1: up? What's up? Hello, Detroit. <laughs> Love you guys.
0: Yes, it's great to have you with us. Also with us is Julio Ricardo Varela, who is an award-winning journalist, founder of Latinorebels.com, and the other co-host of the In the Thick podcast. Julio, welcome back to the show as well.
2: Hey, and hey, Maria, and... This is great. Yeah, it's so happy to have here the the two of you guys.
0: Yeah, no, I really I really love that uh, you two can be with us today, uh, Maria. I want to start with you, and I want to have you share with our listeners your personal story uh, about COVID nineteen. You were here in Detroit with us. On March 4th, where we had this really great event at the Senate Theater in southwest Detroit, and all these people come out to watch a live taping of the podcast with the two of you and with me. And then the next week, the world turned upside down, and we all went into isolation and quarantines and stay-at-home orders, and a lot of people started to get sick. You were one of them. Tell us how that all went.
1: So, you know, Stephen, when I think about what I was doing January and February of 2020, um, I I get a little bit terrified because I was basically on one, two or three planes every single week. I was traveling inside Mexico. I was on the border of Mexico with Guatemala. I was on the U.S.-Mexico border. We traveled with Julio. We traveled to um, Las Vegas. Um, I I mean, it it was just nonstop travel. So before we got to Detroit, we were in Jackson, Mississippi. Then we went to Detroit, which as we know, and it breaks my heart, it really just breaks my heart to know that Detroit is another hotspot, because I have such tenderness for your city that, you know, is always fighting, you know, the good fight. Mm. So we went to Detroit. I was in the community. I was everywhere, you know, hugging on people because that's how I do. Then I was in Chicago. Already things were starting to get a little bit iffy, but I was in Chicago, which is...
0: Yep. I think we've lost Maria a little bit there. (laughs) Maria... We're going to try to get you back on the line and get you talking into us a little more about that experience. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Julio, yeah. you into the conversation, you live in Boston. The community of yeah. Chelsea, which is right outside Boston, has been the epicenter of the outbreak there. That's a majority Latino community. As I said in the open, it's not just African-Americans here. in right. Detroit, it is. But it is people of color. People of color all over the country. Tell us what's going on there in Boston.
2: Yeah, um, you know Chelsea, Massachusetts is. If if people understand uh, the Tobin Bridge, it's the iconic bridge. You know, I know that Detroit has the Ambassador Bridge, and and that's an iconic bridge. And there's a there's a bridge in in Boston called uh, the Tobin Bridge, which is goes over the Mystic River. Mm-hmm. And then and the next city, outside of Boston on the north side and the northeast side is Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is essentially. 66, 67 percent Latino, mostly immigrant, significant undocumented population. They are where the essential workers are in Boston. So they take the public transportation, the silver line, which is a bus by um, the MBTA, which is the T, you know, the public transportation in Boston. And it's about one point eight square miles. There's about, I believe, like there's 40, 50,000 people like uh, and it's dense. People live, you know. In triple deckers, which are you know three three floor apartment houses, living you know multi generational families,
0: mm-hmm.
2: every ingredient about a COVID pandemic uh, happening an outbreak was in Chelsea, Massachusetts. And right now, uh, and I don't have the latest numbers in front of me, but the Boston Globe reported a couple of days ago per capita, you know every hundred thousand residents, how many have tested positive for. For COVID nineteen, I believe Chelsea was around like twelve hundred to thirteen hundred residents per hundred thousand uh, per capita, which is bigger than Boston. It it borders like New York City, right? So it's around that type of rate. And you know, it comes down to this, Stephen: the lack of testing. i I'm doing some reporting. Actually, I'm actually doing reporting for Latino USA. Hmm. It's going to come out next week, and I'm reporting. And I'm talking to people in Chelsea. I'm talking to doctors residents community leaders and one of the things they tell me across the board it's not only about language access and lack of health care or communication but it comes down to testing Hmm. and testing i don't know what how it's done in michigan but in massachusetts and i actually talked to a doctor in mass general hospital which is you know a world-class hospital in 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 you know in Massachusetts they've kind of become like COVID-19 central in eastern Massachusetts and Boston and he basically you know the confirming of giving tests to first responders or healthcare workers or people that are at the front lines was you know is because there weren't enough tests so they had to ration tests right so this notion so the moment this is what i found out in my reporting and again it's going to be all on latino usa Uh, next weekend for you guys when it broadcasts. Um, It'll drop as a podcast next Tuesday. But what I found, the irony of all this, Stephen, is that the moment testing went up in Chelsea, they discovered that about 30% of the population uh, had it. And they're actually been prepared. So they were able to inform the response. And there's a a piece in the Boston Globe today, and you can get it online, um, and I actually tweeted it out as well, that because they started to begin to test and and because you have like the privilege of institutions like Mass General deciding to up our up their testing in places like Chelsea Massachusetts
0: sure.
2: there there's confidence in Boston I can't believe I'm even saying this that it's going to start flattening the curve and hospitals are ready in Boston because they didn't wait for the federal government these these healthcare institutions I talked to this doctor who is, who is Puerto Rican. Uh, he, he's, he practices, he, he, um, he treats about 450 sp- patients. Most of them are Spanish, Spanish speaking. A lot of them come from Chelsea, but he's also the vice president of inclusion for mass general hospital. And he saw any, as a Latino doctor, he was like, we got to do something about this. Mm. He, he saw it ahead and, and he was able to convince his peers at mass general to be like, we need to test in Chelsea. They tripled their testing daily, and even though it basically confirmed everything that the it was a hot spot, it is a hot spot. Um, and yes, there are big economic implications here, Stephen. There's people who who won't get their you know they could get evicted even though you're not supposed to evict people. Right. There no one has a job. People are you know. They're scrounging to pay for rent. They're they're not getting enough food. The National Guard has come in and people are worried about their immigration status being, you know, asked. So there's a lot of factors here. But the irony of all this, if we had tested earlier as a country, exactly, we would not be in the situation, Stephen. That's the part that's really, as a reporter, I spent the last week. Covering this for Latino USA. And I, you know, Latino USA is part of Futuro Media. I do in the thick and Latino Rebels as well. But I'm actually kind of, I've learned so much as a reporter. I'm like, wow,
0: hmm. it
2: was about testing. It really was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maria Inojosa is back with us. Uh, and Marina, before you got cut off, you were telling us about your, your personal experience with, with COVID 19. Uh, let's get back to that story. Yeah.
1: So right so, so basically I had been traveling like crazy all of um all of the early part of of 2020 you know after Detroit Chicago after Chicago Tucson after after Tucson Los Angeles so I literally was flying into hotspots <laughs> from one the to time. the other
0: right <laughs> Yes yeah, from one yeah. to the other
1: and seeing a lot of people and um by now we had understood a little bit of social distancing but anyway, the point is, is that I have to be very honest with you. I think that I had um, a, a cavalier attitude. Um, I haven't had the flu in 20 years. You know, I don't get sick. I'm, I'm one of those people who I, I fight very hard to. You know, whenever I start to feel sick, I immediately start taking my wellness formula. I I, I beat everything back. Um, I continued going into the office even though it was empty. Um, and we found out later that we did have some staff members who actually um, were exposed. So all is to say that – and Julio kind of lived through this with me because I just wasn't myself. I was Mm. acting out like a really kind of – I was acting like a crazy person, and Mm. I didn't know why. And here's the thing, Stephen. I didn't have a thermometer in the house Um, because my kids had left the house. They were in college. Whatever. We didn't get sick. And um, finally, 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 we found a thermometer. My husband bought it, and that's when I realized, wow, I've I've actually been with a fever for the past – Whatever ten days, Um, I never had. I was in so much physical pain because of the the pain in my legs that the thought of going to get tested, being exposed, was like oh no 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 no. And so that is one thing that because I don't know if I've had it, I'm still hoping to get an antibody test. I know that probably like many listeners um, to this show right now, they're like oh you know what I know somebody who was really sick and had all of the symptoms, never got tested. Maybe they're out of it, maybe they're in it. And so there's a whole thing again, to get back to the point of testing. We just don't know how insidious and ever present this um, virus is, which, you know, being in the epicenter state, um, it really concerns me that people are opening back up again. I'm like, you guys, I don't wanna live through this again. I'd rather stay, I'd rather suffer this all now, you know, for however many months we have to, and then get to the other side. Because honestly, Stephen, and I've told Julio this, when I start thinking about, you know, like the permanent effect, I'm like, will I never be able to hug Mm. my, you know, the people who I meet? People who I meet who listen to Latino USA or in the thick, they fall into my arms, Steven, when they meet me, because our media means that much. They literally fall into my arms. And I've
2: tears. seen it. I, I, I'm a witness. I can testify.
1: You know, so so I'm just like, does that mean it's going to happen? So I don't want to go there. I'm I'm much more like, please, let's take it as seriously as we need to, especially those of you in Detroit, because um, I need to come back to Detroit and have some of my sidewalk barbecue again, for sure.
0: Hmm. Mm. Yeah, uh, so Julio was talking about what's going on in Boston, and Chelsea, with with the Latino community there. Maria, you live in Harlem, which is of course the epicenter of the crisis in the U.S. New York is. Uh, I, I want you to talk some about what you're seeing in your community as well. This this disproportionate effect and and this idea that people who are not in that Epicenter who are not experiencing this the same way are the ones who are talking about well let's get back to life as normal let's open things up I think it it looks really different for those of us who are seeing this every day f- living this every day and, and getting up each day and wondering who else is going to be sick and who else might be gone.
1: So um, you know I um, I had I stopped saying never. Because the thought of New York City, um, I, I swear I never could have imagined that New York City would have the capacity to shut down. Now, to be honest with you, Stephen, I am following the legal legally imposed rules, so I am not traveling to Times Square. Um, the, far, the furthest I go, I live in West Harlem, and the furthest I go is up to Broadway um, near Columbia University. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll tell my kids, they'll ask me, what did you see if, you know, I went to pick up a prescription and it's like, you know, there was no one that came within six feet of me at any time. Um, and everybody here, um, is wearing a face mask and gloves. It's just like, it's the thing, Mm. you know, I, again, I was like, that'll never happen in New York. Oh no, no, no. So I feel like there's an expression of New Yorkers feeling love for each other in through this trauma. Like I'm wearing my face mask to protect you. Um, I have to assume I've been sick and I'm protecting you. And by the way, um, I finally was able to come out of it. You know, it's three weeks of a, of a, of a fever that was basically just under 100. But, you know, I'm a small person. Um, and finally, actually, today was the second time I took a, an exercise class via Zoom um, with my trainer. Um, but there is a whole healing period and a psychological impact um, that we, those of us who have been sick, are living through. And I just feel like New York, like in my neighborhood, I still see people going to work. Mm. I see, you know, what I have, you know, after 9-11, I was one of those people, Stephen, because I was here, that would applaud and wave at the firefighters. Every time they drove by after 9-11, I was like, what's up? I love you. Peace. <laughs> thank you. That was me. When I would see tourist buses, We're filled with tourists coming into New York. I would be waving at them like a crazy person. They were like, who is this woman? I was so grateful. Now, in my few walks that I take when I'm walking Walter, my dog, if I see a bus driver, I'm giving them the thank you sign. If I see, you know, the Latino, Mexican guy on the bike delivering food, I'm screaming out, paisano, thank you. If I see a woman who I can clearly see is wearing scrubs because I live near a hospital, I'm saying thank you. The guys who are working in the park, I'm saying thank you. So there is, I hope, at least in New York, where we've been through so much hell, to be honest, and now the, you know, the whole country, um, I hope that there's a, a love for each other. Every mm. night at 7 o'clock, mm. we're ringing our bells and chanting and screaming and doing the clave and, um, <laughs> as, a, as a cathartic expression of unity. In New York City, a city of what, 8, 9 million people, and we're all doing the same thing at the same time? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's a that's remarkable. Be- that's beautiful. It is, it and really horrific
1: is. at the same time. Yeah.
0: Okay, I need to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Maria Inajosa and Julio Ricardo Varela. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. What do you think of these huge disparities in the experiences that we're having with COVID nineteen? Why do you think it's hitting communities of color so hard? compared to other communities and how do we get folks who are not having that experience to understand it to relate to it and to react appropriately 313 1019 is the number on the phones you can also go to the wdet facebook page or twitter put comments there we'll look them in we'll be right back with more detroit today
1: Celebrating 70 years of radio in
0: Detroit. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always... Thanks for joining. My guests are Maria Inajosa and Julio Ricardo Varela. They are the co-hosts of the In the Thick podcast. Maria is also the host of Latino USA, which you hear right here on WDET on Saturday mornings at 7 and Wednesday nights. At 10, they are good friends of our show here on Detroit Today. They were in town earlier in March where we had a live taping of In the Thick at the Senate Theater in southwest Detroit. Had a lot of fun during that taping and during the time they were here in Detroit. Uh, They're here with us today to talk about COVID-19 and the disproportionate effects it's having on communities of color Of course, we are experiencing that right here in the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan, but that is happening all over the country right now. If you wanna join the conversation, give us a call, tell us what you're experiencing during this pandemic, tell us what it looks like in your community, tell us what it looks like in your household. As we always say here on Detroit Today, we really wanna hear from you about how you're doing right now, just how you're managing all of the things that are different, how are you managing the health concerns that are out there but also how are you managing the financial concerns that people are starting to really have Uh, this morning we saw an announcement that beaumont uh, the biggest hospital here in the suburbs uh, of detroit is going to have massive massive layoffs of non-essential workers it's just one in a series of announcements about bad news, bad economic news that attends the bad health news that we're all kind of suffering through. Uh, give us a call. Tell us how you're doing with all of that. Tell us what's going on in your world. And tell us what you think about the disproportionate effect on communities of color. We are having a real argument in the state right now about whether to reopen things, because in places outside of Southeast Michigan, and rural places, the pandemic doesn't look quite as bad as it does here. And folks in those areas are saying, hey, we ought to be able to do the things that we were doing before, even if folks in southeast Michigan stay locked down. Where do you come down on that argument? Do you think that makes any sense at all? Do you think we ought to be thinking more about the public health dangers than we are about finances? Do you think we ought to be thinking as an entire state about everybody as opposed to people who live in this part or people who live in that part. As always here, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Maria and Julio, I want to start with you uh, where I left off right before the break. It's been really hard the last week here in Michigan, I think, to have a reasonable conversation about this whole idea of whether to reopen or not. Uh, There are a lot of people who are not experiencing this quite the same way that we are in big cities or in communities of color. They're anxious to get back to the commerce that drives the economy. They're anxious to get back to their lives. And I feel like we just have a fundamental disconnect right now. Uh, I said on the program yesterday, we don't really know each other. And that's how this, this, that's how this feels. I I, I wonder in both of your communities, how that, that argument is playing out. Julio, I'll start with you.
2: Yeah. You know, I have to say in Massachusetts, so I, I can represent like Eastern Massachusetts, you know, and Boston is the hub of Eastern Massachusetts. And it goes all the way from like, you know, up to Cape Cod, all the way up to the New Hampshire border. And I have to say that Governor Baker, as a Republican governor, Governor Charlie Baker, uh, who has been called out as, you know, a rhino by the president of the United States, uh, Republican in name only, uh, he really, you know, around March 8th or March 9th, March 10th, like he's really been leading. And I think at least from what I can understand – And see and talking to people. And I've been talking to doctors and essential workers and just people all over, you know, metro Boston. I think in general, it took a little bit of time, specifically in in Boston, to people, you know, the weather's coming out. You know, Boston's a beautiful city. I mean, (laughs) Maria can attest to it, you can attest to it. I mean, you know, we're coming out of winter. So when it's 60 degrees out in March, And you're like, oh, I can just walk. I mean, I think we kind of got past that. But I don't feel like there's a push here yet because Baker has been pretty good Mm. in general. But I think the biggest problem that happened at the beginning, and this is where I think they missed out a little bit. And I think this is where Boston still sort of has this remnant of not being – as connected to its POC, like communities, like I'm talking immigrant communities, I'm talking like predominantly like black neighborhoods like Mattapan Mm -hmm. and Dorchester, traditionally, you know, segregated, you know, Boston is very segregated still as a quote unquote liberal white city. Mm -hmm. Is this notion of, well, there's still essential work, right? And so there's a blue collar feel in Boston that, you know, Public transportation was still running. You still had to, you know, you still had to clean buildings. You still had to, uh, you, you know, that there was, you know, you had to go to hospitals. And there's a big medical community here, right? Boston is one of the top medical communities in the world. So there's a lot of support staff. It's not just doctors and nurses that keep hospitals running. So there was this mixed message. And I think it doesn't surprise me that disproportionately – The impact of COVID nineteen has hit traditional, you know, black and Latino communities, Mm -hmm. and and it's not just Chelsea because if you look at if you look inside Boston, a place like East Boston, which is in you know immigrants from Central America, uh, you look at Dorchester, you look at Mattapan, which is where I border. So I border right at Mattapan, my town in Milton borders Mattapan. Um, Those are the places that are being impacted the most, and and I do think. Talking to doctors, talking to public health experts, part of that disconnect was still there early in the day. But, you know, I went, so I'll give you a specific example. So I'll do my grocery shopping, you know, early in the morning when I can in in Dorchester, right? in right on, right where I live on the Mattapan Dorchester line, there's a, there's a star market, which is traditionally a market that is you know for it's a POC market and i when i started a month ago to go to that market no one was wearing a mask mm. in 3 or 4 weeks and i just was there like last week and it's a predominantly you know the neighborhood is predominantly african american it's predominantly latino it's the best place to get ethnic food for me you know that's <laughs> where i get my 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 puerto rican products <laughs> everyone was wearing a mask everyone and this notion of you know african americans like like finally saying i have to wear a mask because there were there were issues there were issues especially when you think about the boston police and sure. the history of of bussing in boston and it's like i had friends of mine i'm talking about prominent like black doctors in in and i live in an affluent part of this of the city who were like i'm not wearing a mask i'm not
0: walking around well, with a mask
2: i'm right. not walking around and i'm a doctor I'm like, I'm a black doctor. So I think that was the one thing that Boston missed because of its leadership being a little like Baker was a little bit out of touch, but I have to say now everyone's on board. So Mm. it's not, we're not like experiencing what Michigan is experiencing with these protests or this like open things up. I actually think there's a lot more uh, uniformity in in Eastern Massachusetts.
0: Mm. Uh, Maria, this idea that we don't know each other, that those of us who live in communities where people of color are the majority and people who live in more rural parts of our states who uh, live in white communities just can't see eye to eye about things like this it, it, it is something that that i think about a lot and it, it shows itself in a lot of different issues but it's it's more painful right now i think it's more difficult to have a conversation about it because for us this is literally about life and death. This is not about money. It's about people who won't be here after all this, uh, after all this is over.
1: So the right now in New York, New York city, um, Latinos
0: have surpassed
1: in terms of their rate of death in, in this city. And we are certainly not the majority of the population in New York city. Right. Um, if I, if I could right now, um, but uh, of course, I want to be very careful. What I would want to do is I would want to be in a hospital in the Bronx to see who are the people who are filling up that, that hospital there with COVID-19.. Mm. Um, you know So when you say we don't know each other, this is where it does. But, you know of course, New York has this exact New York City has this exact same problem, right? You have the people living on Fifth Avenue and on Park Avenue who probably still have their domestic workers coming to work every day to clean the house, to cook the food, to be the nanny to the children. Um, I mean, I've seen them. So uh, they are not immune. If they're riding the subway, and the subways are crowded, by the way, there are less of them running. But, you know, the subways, you're going to find very few white people on the New York City subways right now. Yeah. The people who are riding them crowded are people of color. Mm. Now, I I do want to say, like, I get the people in smaller cities and towns around, you know, Michigan. I'm a Midwesterner myself, obviously raised in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I get it. I get that just like, well, you know, good luck to you in New York. (laughs) Like, well, I'm like, I'm going to live my life, you know, (laughs) I get that. I totally get it. You know, those of us here, Stephen, you know, we wake up and it's like, who else has died? Who we know. And right now there is a bit of a flattening of the curve here in New York, but I have many people who I know who are now sick in Chicago um, so I'm just like every morning I wake up and I'm like, are they better? Are they better? Are they getting better? Or did they take a turn for the worse? But I want there there are stories that have happened. There was a beautiful one, a terrible one in The New York Times about a funeral that happened in a small city outside of in, in rural Georgia, um, mostly African-American. It was a funeral. And it turns out that somebody was sick who came to the funeral. Mm. And this was, I guess, in early March. And because of one sick person who had no symptoms, who showed nothing, who had not traveled anywhere, I don't know what the numbers are, but let's say, you know, the 70 people came to the funeral, 25 people got sick. And of those five had already died. So that's where I'm just like, oh, I get that you don't want to be wearing masks and that you want to go out and you want to, but what you're doing by not doing that, that sacrifice is you're actually going to save someone's life. Right. And it is really hard, Stephen, how do you say that to people who have not lost anybody? Um, It is one of the greatest challenges. And I'm not sure we have the answer yet, Stephen, to the essential question you're asking, right? Is, one, do we see each other? And two, how do we deal with the structural inequity that is leading us to see Black men and women, Latino men and women, dying at higher rates of this? Do we see them? Do we even see them in their death? Um, So this is and and I think many of us just kind of like we don't know what to do. Well, we're going to have to figure something out with all this time that we have on our hands at home. um, Those of us who have that luxury, we need to figure that out. That's not my job or your job or Julio's job. We're journalists. But it is the people's job to figure that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you make of the racial disparities with the coronavirus pandemic. Call and just tell us how you're doing with the coronavirus pandemic, how it's playing out in your world, in your family, in your community. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, we'll try to work them in. Let's start with Mark in Redford Township. Mark, welcome to the program.
1: Good morning, Stephen. Hey, how are you? And good morning to your guests. Um right. this uh disparity that's occurring in Southeast Michigan right now I think requires of us a um, responsibility on our part to um observe it as a public safety issue. Uh Governor Whitmer made this announcement for social distancing and staying at home in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know for a reason um and it requires of us to become ambassadors uh from her announcement. Otherwise, you know, it's going to affect um it may come back uh, in full force as another uh, form of a pandemic. You know,
0: right? Right. No, I think that's a, that's a great point, Mark. And the idea of it being a public responsibility, I think, is really key. There, we have got to take ownership of this ourselves. It's not just the people in powerful positions or the people we've elected. No, we've, no. we've all got to figure out how to how to beat this thing first from a public health standpoint, but then also start dealing with these disparities that make this look different. The in testing. Many, in different we communities. have to get the, right. this testing clarified. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Thanks very much. Let's go to Shula in Southfield. Shula, welcome to the show. Good morning, good morning, Stephen. How are you today? Good. How are you? Hanging in there. Yeah. I just wanted to comment on the, on the distancing and the, uh, the governor's orders. Uh, a suggestion or a thought that I would have is, is that places where the people are not dense, where the population is less dense, mm-hmm. such as very far up north, you know, 10 people for, you know, for every square mile, there you can lift it and not have so many restrictions because those people are probably not even in contact with each other. Versus down here um, no matter what you do, there's always going to be contact, and we have to we have to have more restrictions um, yeah Shula, a lot of people so that's what that's what the Speaker of the House says he wants to do a uh, republican from from out state who who lives in an area where there aren't as many people he would like to see a regional approach to the stay home orders. Here's my here's my pushback against that. I haven't heard a single public health expert endorse that kind of approach to that. I haven't right. heard a single doctor say that that makes any sense. Um, and if you'll excuse the, 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 the crude uh, uh, analogy, it's almost like saying that we'll have a certain section of the swimming pool where people are allowed to pee in the pool. Right, and those of us who are not in that section, well, we, you know, we'll stay over here in the in the deep end and and not worry about it. It doesn't work that way. It, 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 it basic epidemiology uh, really tells us that that's not that's not going to work. And and I challenge those people who uh, uh, who are endorsing that to to come up with. Uh, a, a doctor or a public health expert to to come up with a plan. I, I just don't feel like uh, I just don't feel like that's the thing that we're hearing from the people who know the most right. about this. I wonder, Julio and. Uh, Maria, yeah, I think? was going
2: to add, it's interesting because Massachusetts and Michigan are kind of similar a little bit. And even New York, New York State, you know, like we, we have big urban centers. Right. And but then, you know, if you go out to like the Berkshires or even like Cape Cod um, and, you know, there's places in the north where it's pretty rural, you know, I, I've been out there
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm just going to be honest with people, there's cases out there. Yeah. So there's, you know, Belcher Town in western Massachusetts, uh, which is, uh, I think, around like Holyoke area and it's a little bit and it actually has, you know, people think of like the Berkshires as just like. You know white massachusetts like liberals um there are some there are pockets of latino populations because of the puerto rican population but even a place like belchertown um that's one of the highest per capita per one hundred thousand residents in massachusetts mm. top 10 so you have about seven traditional immigrant communities but then you have like western mass and you're absolutely right steven there's no one saying that you can't. You, this is not, you know, you cannot contain it. This is not a zone defense here. Like it's no. gonna, pay, like to use basketball analogy. Like, um, but the other thing I would say, I think it's very, you know, Maria is, you know, I'm with Maria on this. I get it. People are losing money. I mean, they're losing jobs. Yep. They're they're not. Their small businesses are. You know, we're a nonprofit organization, Futuro Media, and we're journalists. I mean. It's not, you know, we're informing people, but at the same time, like the company that Maria Finance, like we're still trying to run our operation, yep. and we can, you know, people need to understand that. I think the bigger question when it comes to that is, how are you know, are the policies in place to help people there, and are we missing these opportunities of? Of how do we actually help businesses? Yeah. And it's already unequal. Like you see what happened with these – with this protection of payment of paycheck that what Congress passed. It's going to the – it's going to the bigger <laughs> companies when it should be going to like the small businesses. And, and I will say one thing about – my last point about this, Stephen – I've been I've been following a lot about campaigning as well, because the Trump campaign is still actually campaigning mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they did that is effective is that they're talking to Latino and black small business owners and saying, you know, I know it's weird that the government, you know, President Trump is saying, you know, you know, the Republicans are are, are giving money to like large corporations. But then the campaign is saying, what about those Latino and and black small business owners who aren't getting their checks? Mm And I'm kind of like, so I get it. But at the same time, this is not going to go away until we really stay disciplined. And just because you're out in the remote areas of this country doesn't mean you're not impacted. That's right.
0: Yeah, You
1: know, for me, me, Stephen, it really, it crystallizes the fact that we have no leadership in this country. Because if we had a federal response to this because this, this virus knows no borders. Right. So, so I understand States taking the lead, but what would happen if we had a president who actually was a leader, right? You know, who was (laughs) saying things like my dear fellow citizens and residents and undocumented friends and family, you know, you know, there is nothing to fear, but fear itself. You know, we've got, you know, whatever the great words of any national leader president who was saying, explaining, I know this is like, look, I'm a big critic, critic of every single um, uh, politician. And we've criticized Governor Cuomo on our air because he's not perfect at all. But he does do these daily um, uh, updates and he talks about... (laughs) The last thing he was talking about is, like, oppositional uh, reaction, because he's living with his teenage daughters, you know, his his young adult daughters, and they're all fighting because they're all in the same house. And he's like, and so now we have to talk about oppositional disorders. And, like and so he's talking a lot about the kind of psychological impact that this is having, and I appreciate that. And that's a sense of, like, we're all in this together, but there is no... National leadership, so the people in the small rural areas are saying, why the hell am I doing this?
0: Right. Right. And the
1: problem, the essential problem, and the message of this virus is you want to categorize people. You want to say, you know, a term I never use, illegal immigrant, mm-hmm. black person, Chinese person, a queer person, trans. You want to put people in boxes and separate each other and, you know, build walls. And this virus is saying, ha-ha. Yeah.
0: yeah not just that try that it, way. right? That's yeah, try it. yeah.
1: I'm going to take every single one of you. I am not right. going to respect any borders or walls or any of that. And worse, I am going to be infecting people that they're not even going to know. Mm-hmm. And so that person who is saying that comment of like, but I just want to be able to go out, that might be the person who's actually sick. Yeah. And in going out unwittingly, is infecting other people who will not survive so if we had a leader who was teaching us about self uh reflection and humility and caring for others maybe we would not be having the debate about well who gets to open first and who gets to open because you know how i'm feeling steven i hate to say this it's a terrible thing but you know i'm like don't come to new york please
0: Hmm.
1: if you guys want to be open all over there in michigan you want please don't fly into new york Okay, we're busy here trying to stay inside, wearing our masks, wearing our gloves. Not, we're trying to do this. Don't come to New York if you want to play that risk with your life in your state. I, I don't endorse it, but don't come visit New York. Right? Isn't that terrible? Wow. I hate that.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Maria Inahosa and Julio Ricardo Varela. I wish we could have this conversation all morning, but, uh, I'm <laughs> <We're> so <laughs> happy
1: to be on with you. It was this so great to have
0: you guys. Yeah. And we
1: love Detroit. We love yeah, Detroit. Well, I we keep saying, back. we're coming back. Yeah.
0: I keep saying when this is all over, we got to get back together here and, and have another big shindig like we did in March. That was so I much love fun. It. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Up next, we're going to have a conversation with the founder of Outlier Media on what they are learning about the most critical needs of Detroiters right now during the pandemic. Stay with us on Detroit Today.